Welcome to the podcast of Woburn Baptist Church. We hope that you enjoy listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Paul here is writing to Titus, a pastor who he left on Crete to set things in order. And uh, after giving the introduction, remember he gave uh, qualifications for pastors, and then he warned of false teachers. Well, today he's giving specific instructions on some of the things that that uh, Titus is to teach. He's giving instructions on a method to go about teaching. Um, the method that uh, we see here is he, he, he instructs Titus to have the older members of the congregation teach the younger members of the congregation. To have older men teach younger men. And to have older women teach younger women. And that's uh, a biblical pattern that we see here from Titus. And I think that it's, uh, it's something that we need to pay attention to when it comes to our strategy for how we can reach our community as well. So let's, uh, let's read the Scripture, and, and we'll pray. In Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to, le- to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. That the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they might adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you have spoken to us. Lord, that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, help us um, to know your will for us through your word. And Father, I pray pray that you would be with me, give me strength, give me wisdom. I pray that uh, you would guard me from error, you would teach my mouth as I speak. In Jesus' name, amen. It begins, Paul gives instructions to, Timothy, to Titus. He says, 
But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Uh, This but that he starts with, but as for you, um, he is making a contrast. Before he was talking about the false teachers, those that were maybe of the circumcision party, those that were legalists. But here he says, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Titus uh, was to teach behavior. What accords with sound doctrine. Not only is Titus supposed to teach sound doctrine, but what accords with it. A godly, right theology will produce godly living. Um, If there's something wrong with theology, it will lead something astray in the way that we live. And so Titus here is commanded to teach what accords with sound doctrine. And he gives a strategy here. He says, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Let's look at these things. First of all, older men are to be sober-minded. Literally, uh, I mean, it's talking about sober, not drunk. Uh, But you can take that in a a figurative sense, uh, to be clear-headed, not uh, easily um, excited about things, but to to look at things clearly and accurately, um, just to be clear-headed. Dignified, not acting in a childish manner, but, but, uh, but dignified. Self-controlled. Well, that's something that's actually here in all of these, whether you're an older man, an older woman, a younger man, a younger woman, all of these require that we be self-controlled. Uh, much of our spiritual life, much of our um, um, sanctification comes down to this issue of self-control. Um, we, we must uh, fight against the flesh. Uh, and we do so by the weapons of the Spirit. We, we looked this week at uh, Romans uh, in, our, in our Bible study, Romans chapter 8. Um, Paul tells the Romans there that we put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. So if we were to be self-controlled, it takes active work of, of putting down our flesh of, of uh, denying the things that we have desires to do, sinful desires, and to be self-controlled. Sound in faith. Having, having a healthy uh, faith. Uh, not, not someone who is doubting. Not someone who is um, um, wavering. But sound and healthy in faith. And in love. Having healthy love, you know, uh, I think a, a parent uh, can sometimes be loving their children, but yet fly off the handle or do many different things that that they ought not to do. Now we do discipline our children, but sometimes the things that uh, some parents do, um, we we all sin, we all uh, fall short sometimes, and sometimes maybe we're not as loving as we should be. But we are to be sound in faith, in love, and steadfastness. Patience. This is what Paul, uh, what Paul is telling T- Titus. 
that the older men are to be striving for. And then he turns to older women. By older here, probably talking about people who have already had their children raised, they're out of the home, uh, so that they in turn can be teaching the younger generation to do those things. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train younger women to love their husbands and children. Look at what Paul here prescribes for older women. First of all, to be reverent in behavior. The word literally there has to do with the the temple. Uh, Behavior that is in accord with how you would behave inside a temple. Uh, A behavior that recognizes that God watches over everything we do. We're, we're, We're aware and cognizant of the fact that God is watching it. Everything that we do can be an act of worship. Reverend in behavior, not slanderers. Um, it's interesting here, the, the word slanderers in the Greek is the word for devil. Uh, the, the reason for that, of course, the devil or, or Satan was an accuser, wasn't he? Um, the, the, the word for Satan... It means someone who's an accuser. Uh, so when, when we or anybody partakes in slander, uh, malicious gossip, and, and tearing down someone's character, we're acting like the devil himself. Paul here says that older women are not to be slanders or devilish. Not to be slaves to much wine. Uh, Maybe there was a problem here in Crete uh, where um, possibly in in that culture, women may have had some struggle with with wine drinking or something. I don't know. Anyway, Paul, uh, just the same as the older men are instructed to be uh, sober-minded, the women are not to be addicted to much wine. And then it says that they may teach what is good. There's a teaching component here. You know, uh, there's been a debate in Southern Baptist life about uh, women in ministry. Um, now, I, I believe from what Paul teaches elsewhere that uh, the role of pastor is reserved for men. However, there is lots of room for women to minister. Um, And here it's talking about one of those places, teaching what is good. And specifically, he he narrows in in verse 4, and train the young women to love their husbands and children. You know, I'm thinking about our culture today. Uh, There are so many younger people, my age and younger, who have come from broken homes Broken families where they've never actually seen two parents stay together throughout the duration of a marriage. So much divorce in our culture today. Young people today, they want to see that kind of a model. They want to see how marriage can work 
How a marriage can stay together over the long haul, over the years, but so many of them haven't even had a chance to see it because broken homes are so prevalent in our society today. One of the things that uh, Paul here instructs older women to do is to teach younger women to love their husbands. That's something that I think is a need in our culture today. That we don't have older people over here and younger people over here, each doing their own thing, but we need to work together and build relationships together so that the older generation can teach and pass on values and, te- and pass on what it looks like to have a healthy family. Lost my place here. So they train the young women to love their husbands and their children. How many young mothers might, might not have uh, someone that they can lean upon? Someone like the, an older generation had. Maybe, maybe in-laws, maybe, maybe their own parents who, who would, would be able to help as they were raising children. Maybe the, there are uh, young families that they don't have that to lean on. We, as a church... Our older members, we can fill that gap. Try to build relationships with younger families and fill that gap. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be reviled. One of the things that the older women are to teach the younger women is to be self-controlled. That was, again, that's something that was there for all ages and all genders. We all must be self-controlled. And it says pure, probably talking about faithfulness, marital faithfulness. We need relationships. Uh, We need discipleship relationships where the older pour their lives into the younger to teach us what a faithful life looks like. Working at home. You know, uh, that, that's something that we've seen a change in our culture. I, I think of, of my grandmother, my grandma File. Some of you know her. But my goodness, she just works, 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 works all the time. She's always cleaning the house and always uh, um, uh, laundry, always gardening. And it's just amazing to see this woman and the way she works. Um, She was recently uh, in the hospital, sick. And uh, her biggest concern was, was that she wasn't able to be home to take care of my grandpa. An older woman works, uh, and, and we see that in our culture today, and um, many times a younger uh, generation is, is not, uh, I, I'm not saying this across the board for everyone, I don't want to be insulting, but many times um, a younger generation needs that older generation to pour into us to teach what it is to work hard in the home. Kind, submissive to their own husbands. Uh, I want to I point something out here. It doesn't say submissive to men. It's submissive to their own husbands. Paul here is talking about the relationship within the family structure. 
It, he's talking about the home and how wives are to submit to their own husbands. When we look at Ephesians chapter 5, we see that men are also to love their wives as Christ loved the church and laid himself down for her, laid down his life for her. So this is not a... a this is not a one-way thing where the man dominates over the woman. But there is an authority that God gave in creation. And God has uh, appointed that uh, a husband shall lead his family, both spiritually and in other respects. How often it is that when it comes to spiritual leading, husbands and fathers are sometimes absent and they let the woman, women take care of all that work. It ought not to be so. A man should stand up and be the spiritual leader in his family. And then it says that the word of God may not be reviled. What is the motivation for all of this? What is the motivation? Why is Paul saying that believers should live like this? That older men should be self-controlled and all those things? Why is it that older women and, and younger women should live this kind of way? It's so that the Word of God may not be reviled. There is an outside world looking at us. And they, they see believers, they see the church, they see our profession to be followers of Jesus. And, and if we are not living a life that accords with godliness, then we are liable to slander. And not only us, but the Word of God is liable to slander. If our life does not match with the God that we profess. Verse 6, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Self-control has been in each age here. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works in your teaching. Show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that may not be condemned, so that any opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. When it comes to younger men, older men should be an example here. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. We need an example. You know, it's easier to learn something if you have an example. You need someone, uh, some kind of, of pattern to be striving after. You don't learn discipleship just from reading a book. You need someone to walk with you along the way. You need an example. We don't... We don't do a very good job of discipleship whenever we just meet together once a week in a class and go over principles. Discipleship, real discipleship, is one-on-one, life-on-life. And that kind of uh, discipleship, there is a, uh, there's an example that we see. Not just a book, but an example. Uh, now, the Word of God is powerful. I'm not putting down that. But God designed our relationships and discipleships to take place in relationship. Show yourself in all respects to be a, good mo a model of good works. Now, we're not saved by good works, right? That's what Paul was talking about here in, in the end of chapter 1. We're not saved by good works, but... 
when he saved us, he saved us unto good works. We are to be a people who do good works. So, the kind of model that the older men should teach us younger men is a model of good works, of doing good things, of of caring for neighbors, of uh, mowing lawns for someone who can't do it, or uh, doing some kind of yard work, or or, uh, making a meal and bringing it to your neighbor who is is sick or something like that. Those kinds of good works. Or taking care of the poor. A life of good works. We were saved for that kind of of works, not to be saved, but that's what we were saved for, so that we would live lives of good works that people would then look and glorify God because of it. In your teaching, show integrity, practice what you preach, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Stick to the scriptures. Stick to the scriptures. So that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Oh, criticisms will come. Opponents will come. They will look at us and say, well, you believe marriage can only be between a man and a woman? Or you believe this? Or you believe that? And criticism will come. They'll call us bigots. They'll call us all kinds of things. But there's no real, credible criticism. They'll be put to shame because when they try to criticize us, they see our good works and and none of it sticks. Now he turns and he talks about slaves. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. First of all, I want to apply this in that day. This is talking about slaves. It's not just talking about employees. In Paul's day, he's talking about slaves, people who were considered owned by their masters. And Paul is telling, even in that kind of situation, an unjust situation where you're considered property of another person, this is how slaves were to to act. It says they were to be submissive to their own masters in everything. It says they were to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering. Pilfering would be uh, stealing little things along the way. You know, taking that pen from work or little things here and there. Just filling your pockets before you go home from work kind of a thing. Not pilfering, but showing all good faith. There was a reason for this. So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Believing slaves were to act that way so that the gospel would look beautiful. That the the gospel would be adorned. So that the doctrine of God our Savior would be beautiful. 
That's what it was in its own day and in its own context. But today, you know, we, we can see this relating to us as employees as well. I don't want to minimize that, that this, was, this was talking about slavery. But in our own lives, in our own lives as employees, we should do the very same things. We should be submissive to our employers. We shouldn't be arguing about what we're asked to do unless that would be something that is sinful. Not pilfering, not milking the clock, but showing good faith. And all those things lead us to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Having a life that, that brings glory to God. I'm going to point to the last few words, and, and this is where I'm going to, going to try to camp out and, and end looking at this text. He says that the doctrine, uh, it may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. God is our Savior, and Jesus is our Savior. I think one of the things we can see here is an identification of Jesus as God, that Jesus was fully God. While He was fully man, He was also fully God. It says God, our Savior here. We can see that in regard to Jesus' person, that he, he is God Himself, and He is our Savior. We don't save ourselves. We can't do enough good works to save ourselves. Even if we live out everything in this text we've looked at so far about being self-controlled, about not pilfering, about all of these things, even if we're a very good example, we cannot do enough to save ourselves. We still need God our Savior. And Paul has said up to this point so far, it's not about religious rituals. It's not about keeping the law. It's about trusting in Jesus and what He did for us. In the context of all of this passage, it could sound like law. Law, law. Do this, do this, do this. But we were reminded by the last verse here. God is our Savior. We don't do anything to earn it. He is the one who has done it all. Jesus paid it all on the cross with His spilt blood for us. He is our Savior. I want to bring about some, uh, some application here. Discipleship, as I've been talking about, is one-on-one, life-on-life. Uh, I'm, I'm not really very optimistic about programs about different programs to try to encourage discipleship. Because you can do that, you can have your class, you can have lots of people, and then you end up, and who's really, how many of those people are really continuing to walk in that afterwards? Discipleship should be like Jesus did. He called 12 men to walk with Him for three years. They were with Him day in and day out, following after Him. He called them to be with Him. I've heard it said, you can't microwave disciples. And in our 
pragmatism of our era. We try to do that. We try to, we, we try to have a class and we call that discipleship. Discipleship needs to be one-on-one relationship. And so I want to encourage each one of you here. We want to grow. We, we want to reach another generation. We can probably try to do kinds of big events and bring people in that way. But how many are going to stick around? Another way that I think we see here in this text is to just find one person, one couple that you can friend. Each couple, if you find one other younger couple that you can build a friendship with, build a relationship with, have them over to your house for dinner, just life on life and start, you know, maybe it doesn't even have to be somebody who's a believer. Just invite them over to your home. It can start out with just evangelism, building that friendship and sharing the gospel. And then as people come to Christ, teach them how to follow Jesus. Teach them how to spend time in the Word, to study the Scriptures. Teach them all the things that they need to know to follow Jesus. My challenge here for for each of you is, is not to go out and invite 16 people for next Sunday. But find one person. Pray that God will send you one person or one couple as a a couple that you can build a relationship, build a friendship with, and disciple them. And I think that's a method that God can use that we can pass a torch on to the next generation. One couple, one person at a time. Big events, we have things like our fireworks. We've had other things. They're great. They, you know, they, they bring a lot of people. But I've heard many of you say, where are they? It's going to have to happen through one-on-one relationships. One-on-one evangelism, sharing Christ, and then teaching them how to follow Christ. And ultimately, it's the work of Jesus. It's what He does in us. And it's what He does in them. We need to pray. We need to get on our knees. If you don't have a friendship with someone that's a young person, pray that God will bring someone into your life that this can happen. Thank you for listening to this message from Woburn Baptist Church. For more information, please visit us at www.wilburnbaptistchurch.org or you can also like us on Facebook.